Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker, and we've got a news show for you this week after two uh, two weeks in a row of interview. I uh, hope you enjoyed those interviews with Richard Stokes from uh, Winston Privacy. Uh, very illuminating, very cool. Uh, really just really happy to see that there are entrepreneurs out there that are trying to address this privacy market, and I really hope that he finds a market. I really hope that after Cambridge Analytica and all these things that have finally kind of come to the forefront and people realizing how important this stuff is, hopefully... Hopefully he finds people willing to pay for privacy. Um, I know I am, so uh, my box is on order, and uh, hopefully when I get it in, I'll get a chance to play around with it and give you guys a little bit of feedback there. So uh, anyway, we got a lot of this stuff to cover. It's been a few weeks since we've covered the news. So uh, today we're going to talk about a new paid version of Firefox and why it's for pay. You don't have to. They'll still have the free version, but they've got a new for-pay Pro or Deluxe or whatever version coming out. I want to talk a little bit about that and what's going on with that. Uh, I'm going to talk about an interesting project from the Pentagon that is using lasers to identify people at up to 200 meters based on their heart signature. <laughs> but um, So we'll talk about that. Uh, I mentioned briefly before the first interview, I think, uh, the Apple Zoom app vulnerability. Uh, so I've got an update on that. Also, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, I think there was a few weeks back, there was some breathless articles about how Amazon Echoes were recording everything you say and real people were listening to what you said and all that stuff. And I kind of, you know, cut through the hype then and talked to you about why I wasn't super concerned about that. Well, there's now a recent article about Apple's Siri as well, uh, doing the same basic kind of thing. And for the same reasons, I am not terribly worried. I'll talk to you about that. Then we'll talk about uh, if you've got a Logitech wireless keyboard or mouse, uh, you're going to need to do a software update, and I'll tell you why. Uh, there's been all sorts of stuff in the news about the Face App uh, scandal. I'm not sure how much of a scandal it is, uh, but <laughs> but I'll dig into that and tell you what I, what, what I feel about that. And finally, we'll talk about some uh, Equifax updates. There, there was recently the, the Federal Trade Commission has proposed a settlement to the massive breach from 2017. And we'll talk about what that means and all the advertising and headlines I'm sure you've been seeing. Quick, go get your 125 bucks from Equifax. And I'll tell you a little bit more about what that really means and uh, why <laughs> why you may not get that uh, 125 bucks. So anyway, that's what we're going to cover today. And uh, without further ado, let's get to the news. <laughs> All right, first up, Firefox, my favorite browser uh, for privacy aspects that's also very secure, um, has a new version coming out uh, that they're going to be charging for, and I'll tell you why here in a second. Um, and, you know, if, of course, you've heard me say this many times. Safari actually is a good browser, too, but Firefox is really the one that I recommend for most people. It works on both Apple and uh, Windows and, and all the mobile-type devices as well. And, uh, you know, while Safari is good uh and if you know if you're super tied to that and you're on a mac and you don't ever use a pc you know stuff i would say that's okay um but i really personally like firefox and they just keep coming out with more and more privacy-based features and i'm really really liking where they're going uh so anyway uh, so firefox is a from mozilla uh, and mozilla is a non-profit organization but you know they have a lot of developers and a lot of people working on this and they got to pay salaries and whatnot so it does cost money and where they make a lot of their money is from Google, believe it or not, by making Google the default search engine in Firefox. And, of course, you can always change it, and I always recommend that you do uh, to, like, DuckDuckGo. But uh, 
uh, Google pays them to make to make that the default, and that's one way, unfortunately, that they have to make money to survive. And uh, Firefox obviously would prefer that not have to do that. And since they're actually kind of doing some privacy stuff lately, that's probably not sitting too well with Google because a lot of the stuff that they're building into their browser is actually preventing Google from doing some of the tracking that it's used to doing. You know, I think they're seeing the writing on the wall and realizing they're going to have to come up with some other sources of revenue. So uh, let me read a little bit about this from an article in digitaltrends.com, and uh, then I'll talk a little bit after. It says, Browsing the web without an ad blocker can be a horrendous experience, from ugly and crude advertisements to annoying pop-ups to loud auto-playing videos. But most sites, including this one, rely on income from advertising to stay afloat and keep producing content. What's what's a civic-minded netizen to do? Mozilla may have the answer. Last month, the company revealed it would offer a paid version of its popular Firefox browser, and now uh, a web page, uh, or a page on its website, confirms more details. It will be charging $4.99 per month for ad-free access to some unnamed journalism websites with the slogan, "Support the sites you love, avoid the ads you hate." And then the quote from uh, Mozilla says, "We've partnered with some of the world's greatest publishers to bring you better journalism to bring you a better journalism experience. We share your payment directly with the sites you read. They make more money, which means that they can bring great content without needing to distract you with ads just to keep the lights on." Unquote. Other features will be included in the premium price as well, like audio versions of the articles, which are good for when you're walking, bookmarks that sync across all your devices which I think they do anyway. I'm not sure why that's part of this. Recommended reading picks and content and a content discovery app. Most of these features are already, you can already add to Firefox for free using add-ons, but they could be useful for others who don't trust third-party developers or who don't want to hunt for the add-ons. Okay, so again, basically Mozilla uh, needs or wants at least to find better sources of revenue uh, than Google. I'm sure they would love to not have to be dependent on them at all. So even if you don't necessarily, you know, want this content stuff, and it has, you know, we have yet to find out what the content is going to be free. You know, like Apple has done this with Apple News Plus, and they charge, I think, 10 bucks a month, and it gives you access to, gosh, I forget what some of the big name ones, maybe LA Times, and I don't know if Washington Post or New York Times made it into their list. Uh, several magazines and things like that that you can basically read for free for, well, for a flat price of 10 bucks a month. Uh, sounds like that's kind of what Mozilla is doing here. So it might be interesting to find out what, uh, what publications they, they get. And, you know, it may be that because they're a nonprofit, they might, you know, maybe they'll get better treatment from some of these places that were kind of holding out for Apple on Apple news or wanting more money. Uh, or perhaps the revenue sharing will be different to the point where, uh, it'll be more palatable to some of the big name uh, publications. So we'll see what they end up uh, having. But it, even if, you know, even if you don't want that, if it's one of those things where, you know, 60 bucks a year, not that much, you know, that's a, that's a good night out dinner uh, for the, for the family. Actually, it's pretty cheap for that. Uh, you know, you want to give them 60 bucks a year to help them keep doing what they're doing and keep uh, making their product better. Uh, I, I plan to do it, honestly, uh, whether I use their features or not, just because I want to support them. So anyway, uh, that's coming up soon. I'll keep you posted on when that comes out. And uh, but be, be looking for it. If you're using Firefox already, I'm sure they will find some way to notify you uh, when that Firefox Pro option comes out. All right. Next up, a rather interesting article about a new tracking device being used by the Pentagon. Um, and Basically, this device lets somebody surreptitiously identify somebody at a distance of up to 200 meters 
uh, by their heartbeat. So it sounds kind of freaky and it is kind of freaky. So let me, let me first start by reading uh, from technologyreview.com about uh, this, this interesting new biometric scanner. Everyone's heart is different. Like the iris or fingerprint, our unique cardiac signature can be used as a way to tell us apart. Crucially, it can be done from a distance. It's this last point that has intrigued U.S. Special Forces. Other long-range biometric techniques, including gait analysis, and let me just stop, that's G-A-I-T, gait, that's in other words, how you walk, um, they've actually been able to prove, to some extent, that they can identify people by the way they walk, how quickly they walk, the distance of their footsteps. Um, everyone's got just a slightly different way where they favor left versus right. And there's a rhythm. Anyway, apparently your gait is kind of like a signature as well. So anyway, um, it says other long range biometric techniques include gait analysis, which identifies someone by the way he or she walks. This method was supposedly used to identify an infamous ISIS terrorist before a drone strike, but gates like faces are not necessarily de- distinctive. An individual's cardiac signature is unique, however, and unlike faces or gait, it remains constant and cannot be altered or disguised. Uh, I gotta say, I wonder, though, how how that works if someone's under stress and their heart rate is up and things like that, but maybe the rhythm is still the same, it's just faster. Okay. Uh, A new device developed for the Pentagon after U.S. Special Forces requested it can identify people without seeing their face. Instead, it detects their unique cardiac signature with an infrared laser. And infrared, of course, means that uh, it can't be seen by human eyes. While it works at 200 meters, or about 219 yards, longer distances could be possible with a better laser. Uh, Quote, I don't want to say you could do it from space, says Stuart Romali of the Pentagon's Combating Terrorism Technical Support Office, but longer ranges should be possible, unquote. Contact infrared sensors are often used to automatically record a patient's pulse. You know, those are the things that when you go in the the doctor's office or the hospital, they put that little clip on your finger, right, with a little, little red light. They work by detecting the changes in reflection of infrared light caused by blood flow. By contrast, the new device called Jetson uses a technique known as laser vibrometry to detect the surface movement caused by the heartbeat. This works through typical clothing like a shirt and a jacket, though not thicker clothing such as a winter coat. The most common way of carrying out remote biometric identification is by face recognition, but this needs good frontal view of of the face, which can be hard to obtain, especially from a drone. Face recognition may also be confused by beard, sunglasses, or headscarves. All right, so it goes on to a little more detail. I'm just going to summarize that. Basically, somebody from a distance takes a laser pointing device, an infrared laser pointing device, and shoots it at the person someplace on the skin or someplace through thin clothing where they can actually pick up the movement of the skin based on the heartbeat. And that, and they can basically check the guy's heartbeat from a long way away. And apparently, our heartbeats are unique enough uh, that they can use to uh, identify somebody. All right, so then it goes back to, let me go back to the article. It says, it takes about 30 seconds to get a good return. So at present, the device is only effective where the subject is sitting or standing. One glaring limitation is the need for a database of card- cardiac signatures. But even without this, the system has its uses. For example, an insurgent seen at a group planting an IED or an improvised explosive device could later be positively identified from a cardiac signature, even if the person's name and face are unknown. Okay, so that's the end of the article. So basically what this is saying is, first of all, your heart rhythm, your particular heart rate, if you graft it, is unique enough to identify you personally. And I, I don't know how true that is. I don't know how that really compares to like a fingerprint or certainly DNA or something that's very definitive. Um, but according to this article and what they're saying, that it's unique enough. Uh, and of course, that last part of there is crucial. So 
unlike, say, the FBI and law enforcement uh, teaming up with local DMVs to raid driver's license and passport photos to build a huge database of pictures uh, of faces, good pictures, straight on pictures of faces with names and addresses and all that information attached to it, uh, there's no such database for for heart rates currently. Now, of course, you know, let's say this becomes a popular technique. Uh, what's to say that now when you go into the hospital and they want to quote unquote check your pulse, that when they put that thing on your finger, it's not also recording your cardiac pattern and then saving that against your record in a database somewhere. And then that database either gets hacked or gets special access by law enforcement or intelligence services. And now this database does exist. So it's even though that database doesn't exist today that matches your heart rate uh, and your heart rhythm to your actual name, uh, it would not be really that hard to do. Um, so anyway, the reason I bring up this article is just another case where another form of biometrics is being used for identification. And uh, we have to be careful about these things. We really don't have laws and regulations in place. Uh, San Francisco and a couple of other cities now have banned uh, all use of facial recognition technology by government uh, for government uses until they can kind of get a handle on this. And, you know, there's a lot of ethics and privacy issues to be worked out. Uh, and they've rightly, I think, decided that we need to put a moratorium on this stuff until we get that stuff straightened out first. Uh, because once these things are out there and in use, it's really kind of hard to, you know, put the genie back in the bottle. So anyway, this is more of a cautionary tale. I, you know, for now, from, apparently it's going to be mostly used in, I guess, military or special operations in the field where they want to be able to identify targets at a distance. But there is absolutely nothing keeping this from being used domestically as well. And it's just another thing we got to keep an eye on. Another reason why we really need to get some laws and regulations together that that tackle these biometrics issues and privacy issues that go along with them because it's quickly getting out of hand already. All right, next up, I want to talk about that Zoom vulnerability. And Zoom, of course, is the is the app that you can use to do um, video conferencing on the web or over the internet. And a very popular app. And what I had said briefly uh, in one of the, before one of the interviews was that there has been a really bad vulnerability found in this app on the Mac that would allow potentially uh, somebody to remotely enable your microphone and camera, um, potentially without you knowing it and you know, spying on you. So that's bad. <laughs> and Zoom has uh, very quickly, in fact, by the time I think that that show had aired, between the time I had recorded it and the time it was aired, Zoom had come out with a fix for that. And also, apparently, Apple, kind of quietly and behind the scenes, had also dealt with this problem as well by removing this kind of extra piece of software that Zoom had included, uh, basically running a little web server on your device that was vulnerable. And Apple had also taken it upon itself to remove that. Um, so at this point, you should be good. But if you want to make absolutely sure, I would still make sure that if you do run the Zoom app, even before, even if you think you might want to delete it, even before you delete it, uh, update it. Um, it's cause I, cause I think even if you delete it, this little piece of software, this little web server may not have been removed properly. Um, so if you really want to be, make sure you're clean, I would go ahead and update zoom. And then if you still want to delete it, then I would delete it after you update it. But hopefully uh, between zooms updates, which hopefully are automatic and, uh, and Apple's sort of sur surreptitious fixing of this bug, uh, everyone should be good at this point. All right, next up, Apple's Siri has come into the news recently, just like Amazon Echo did uh, maybe a month ago. B 
because uh, a researcher has found, or they call him a whistle, actually it was a whistleblower, somebody who apparently worked for one of these third-party contractors has come forward to say that like Amazon Echo, uh, Apple's Siri service, which works the same way, it listens for a wake word, you say something like, what's the temperature, what's the, how many cups in a gallon, uh, what's the sports score, whatever, um, that those recordings, that those requests are, of course, being sent to the cloud for processing, but are also being heard by humans. Now, like the Amazon Echo thing, I don't think this is as big of a deal. So let me read quickly from this article from 9to5Mac uh, about what they found, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it again and why, the, why I don't think it's as big a deal as what a lot of headlines are making it out to be. A report today from The Guardian details claims from one of Apple's contractors about the conversations that are heard as interactions with Siri are reviewed and analyzed. The report brings up privacy and transparency concerns, and Apple has released a statement addressing the matter. The Guardian's source for this latest report is said, uh, is said to be a contractor that grades Siri. The, win- the whistleblower said that Apple, uh, uh, quote, Apple contractors regularly hear confidential medical information, drug deals, and recordings of couples having sex as part of their job providing quality control for Apple's voice assistant, unquote. The report mentioned that Apple doesn't clearly let customers know or consumers know that a small percentage of recordings are sent to contractors to improve Siri. Apple shared an official statement saying that less than 1% of Siri activations are analyzed to improve the service. Quote, a small portion of Siri requests are analyzed to improve Siri and dictation. Users' requests are not associated with the user's Apple ID. Siri responses are analyzed in secure facilities, and all reviewers are under the obligation to adhere to Apple's strict confidentiality requirements, unquote. Okay, so, like I said back then, I've got, I've got these devices in my house right now, and you know I'm, pri- I'm a privacy nut. So, um, basically, again, the deal is this. These devices do listen all the time, but they don't record all the time. What they do is they're listening for their magic wake word. They're they're waiting for that magic command that when they hear it, which I don't want to say it because I don't want to wake up your devices, um, if you happen to be listening to this on a speaker. (laughs) um, But, you know, when you say the A word with the Amazon Echo products or you say, hey, you know, (laughs) uh, Siri, uh, then these things wake up and they listen to the next thing you say. And of course, the way this works currently, because we don't have enough processing power and storage to do all these things right there at the device, and I hope someday we'll fix that, the way this works is they quickly send that little snippet of recording up to the cloud to uh, some service that then listens to that, basically converts that sound uh, into text, and then, you know, processes that text and sends you a reply. Um, So to get that to work right, uh, they need to test it. And so, and they need to improve it constantly. There's all sorts of things that can throw this off. You know, some people talk really fast, like me. Some people talk slow. Some people have accents. Some people have speech impediments. Uh, there are things that are going to throw these things off. So they have humans take a small percentage of these things and they grade them. They, they, as they said in the article, they listen to them and then check what the system said, the person said, what was the conversion? What was the transcription from the audio clip to text? And if it's wrong in particular, they can say, hey, you got everything right, but this word, here's what it should have been. Um, and, and tweak it so that next time this comes through, they won't be fooled by that same word. They won't get thrown off by an accent or whatever. So that's, to me, perfectly understandable. I've worked with products that do similar things uh, as a software developer. So the key here for me, and what's not clear to me from this article, or actually, honestly, from the Amazon article that came out uh, before that I talked about is... 
whether or not my identity is associated with these clippings, these audio clips. Uh, the other question is, is how long are these things stored and how are, um, and, and how are they like once it's transcribed, is it somehow stored, uh, against me and who can see that, you know, what were the things that I said? Um, and that's not clear to me what's being done. Obviously you would hope that the contractors would have no idea who said it. So if you think about it, you know, do you care that some contractor, someplace on the planet is listening to a sound clip that they don't know who said it, uh, and making sure that the translation of that sound clip was correct. Now, if they don't know who that person is, you know, personally, I have I don't have much issue with that. Now, the other thing to realize, and what this article, I guess, is alluding to with drug deals and people having sex or whatever, is that these things do get things wrong, which is, an, again, another reason why they want to go through this training and grading to try to improve it, is that sometimes things that you say sound like the magic word, but aren't the magic word. So if you were having a conversation with something and you said something that sounds like Alexa, then it's possible that your device would wake up thinking you had said the magic word, but you didn't. And of course, once it thinks you said the magic word, it's going to listen to whatever you say after that. So if you're in the middle of some conversation about a drug deal, then yeah, that's going to get recorded. Um, I seriously doubt that anybody is actually waking these devices up on purpose to figure out how many ounces in a pound of pot or whatever, you know, Hey, you know, Hey, anyway, I'm not, I'm so tempted to say it, but I'm trying not to say these words. So I don't wake up your devices. Um, my guess is that most of those are, are mistakes. And uh, you know, when you're doing millions of these things, it's going to happen. So, you know, if you, obviously I'm giving this information, I'm trying to tamp down the hype on some of this stuff. It is a problem. It's just not as big a problem. I think is what some of these things, some of these articles make it out to be. Uh, nevertheless, uh, you are now informed and you can make your own choice as to whether or not you want to have these devices in your house. All right, next up, if you have a Logitech wireless master keyboard, you're going to want to, uh, listen to this carefully because you're going to need to update some software. Um, I was going to read this whole article. I think I'll actually just kind of cut to the chase a little bit on this and just kind of tell you what's going on. So Logitech makes some great wireless keyboards. I have several of them. I like them a lot. And, and they get, they come with this little wireless dongle or a nugget, this little USB plug, um, that's very short. Like when you stick it in, it's actually the, the USB part that goes in is actually much bigger than what's left. And when you stick it in, it's this little black thing that sticks out. Gosh, it must not, it can't even be a quarter inch. Um, that is the receiver for this wireless signal so that your wireless keyboard and your wireless mouse uh, can talk to your computer through that thing. Of course, now it's wireless, so it's being broadcast and anything nearby could be listening to those signals. Now, Logitech encrypts those signals, but apparently there's been some vulnerabilities found uh, that would allow people to crack that and see what you're typing. So obviously, if you're typing a, you know, a password or if you're typing... Um, credit card number or social security number, things like that. And somebody was near enough to listen to that signal. They might get some info, but more importantly, if they were able to control the signal, they could actually basically type and click on your computer as if they were sitting at your computer, they would basically pretend to be another wireless keyboard and mouse, and they could do all sorts of bad things. So, um, there was a vulnerability found in 2016 by this researcher and he reported it and he thought, okay, that's all, that's good. We're all done. I've reported it. They're going to fix it. We're great. And turns out, however, that all these devices that were already manufactured and in the field and waiting in warehouses to be shipped were never recalled, meaning that a lot of these devices still got out with the old software on them, the old firmware that had the bug that had not been fixed. 
so if you have one of these devices, in fact, uh, the reason this article came up is somebody he knew, in fact, the guy, he, he had worked with a hacker that showed him how this was done. And he found out that even uh, a device he had bought recently, and this was three years after, or almost three years after it was originally reported, still had the bug. Uh, and they had, furthermore, they found new bugs as well and fixed them. So here's the deal. Long story short, if you have one of these things, if you have a wireless uh, Logitech keyboard or mouse, you should go to their website and update the software. It's very easy. Uh, you just click on this little zip file that you download and you run this little application after you, unlo- uh, after you unzip it. And it's very quick and easy. It just updates your software and you're good to go. So I'm going to put a link to this in my show notes, uh, which is really the article uh, that I didn't read that I'm just referring to. And the, the article is called Logitech Response to Research Findings. So if you just do a, um, uh, a DuckDuckGo search or whatever your search engine is, if you search the web for Logitech, that's L-O-G-I-T-E-C-H, Logitech Response to Research Findings, you should find this article. Or if you just go to the podcast website, which is podcast.firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com, uh, you will find the show notes and you can find it there as well. Um, but it might just be easier to do the search and find the article. In that article, it'll talk about everything I just talked about. And then at the bottom, it will have a link to the Logitech site where you can go and download this little bit of software that it will update uh, the firmware on your little wireless nugget. And you'll want to do this for every one of your uh, devices that you have. Every one of these little USB nuggets, you're going to make sure you want to get that done uh, on any other computers you use. And then you should be good to go. All right. Now, the Face App scandal. I'm sure you've seen this all over the news. Uh of whatever form, but this face app, which is an extremely popular app currently, uh, you take a picture, picture of yourself and then it ages you, um, using some sort of AI stuff, uh, and it makes you look older. So you can say, okay, show me what I'm, what I want to look like in 10 years kind of thing. And of course, I'm sure you've seen this on the news, but so the little side by side, it shows you now, shows you in the future and oh, how funny, isn't that cool? Uh, and you share it with everybody. Well, this app being extremely popular, turns out has some pretty, what's the word, uh, egregious, <laughs> unfortunately, actually probably typical terms of service that gives this company and there's, it's a, the parent company of this, uh, of this app maker is Russian, which has given a lot of people more heartburn though. I don't, honestly, I'm not sure that makes any difference. Um, and let me just, I'll, I'll just read to you cause this, this will give you, <laughs> this will give you an idea of why people are kind of freaking out about this. So you, again, here, you've got this app. It's really cool. You took a picture of yourself. Now this picture has been uploaded to this company, uh, to do their thing. Cause they need to make you look older. Uh, and then these are the terms and conditions that you agreed to when you installed that app, you grant face app, a perpetual, irrevocable, non-exclusive royalty free worldwide, fully paid transferable sub licensable license to use, reproduce, modify, adapt, publish, translate, create derivative works from, distribute, publicly perform, and display your user content and any name, username, or likeness provided in connection with your user content in all media formats and channels now known or later developed without compensation to you. That's what it actually says in the term con- terms of conditions, which I'm sure nobody read. Nobody read. Well, somebody did because they wrote these articles about it. And part of you know, part of the reason they were getting all freaked out was like, oh my God, you're basically every picture you send them, you've given them complete control to do whatever they want with forever and ever, anywhere on the planet, and uh, I have no say. Which 
yeah, that's what you signed. Uh, so now I got news for you though. My guess is that this is very similar to just about every other app you've ever had that takes a, a picture of you for some other purpose, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, um, all these little funky apps that make you look like a dog or make you look like somebody else or swaps your face with somebody else or lets you try out makeup or clothes or all these, you know, all these apps that do some pretty cool things. These, these really neat, you know, photo realistic and sometimes video techniques to in live in live real time to make you look different are really cool and fun. Uh, but I'll bet you money. This, the terms and conditions that you signed for all those apps are similar to these. Um, and it's, you know, some lawyer wrote this somewhere to cover their butts, uh, basically to let them do whatever they want and, and not have to compensate you for anything. Are they really going to, you know, are they going to do anything nefarious with it? I don't know. Um, you know what they, what this really could allow them to do, for instance, is they could, if you come up with a really cool picture, they could take that picture and use it in their own advertising. They could use it in someone else's advertising. They could sell it to somebody else. They could sell it to um, stock photo companies because you signed away all your rights. They could do whatever they want with these things if, they, if you come up with a really cool picture and you've lost all rights to it. Um, or at least they've, you can, I'm sure you still could do whatever you want with it as well. But as far as getting paid for that, you don't, they don't have to pay you. But what I'm more worried about uh, with this sort of stuff and what actually a lot of these other apps are probably doing too is selling these large volumes of facial pictures to companies that are doing facial recognition software. Uh, and it's probably attached to your name. So they could be actually building this massive database of, of people with names attached and whatever other information you gave them, you know, email address, probably minimally, maybe your phone number, uh, and selling to other people. And from reading this, you just heard it. Uh, basically, it sounds like they do whatever they want and not pay you a dime. So uh, that, that's honestly what I'd be more worried about. But anyway, the point here is I, there was a lot of hubbub over this particular app, partially because it was supposedly owned by a Russian company. And right now we're all kind of trained to raise our hackles when, when, when that word gets mentioned, that country gets mentioned. Um, but in reality, I think it's like any other privacy invasive app that we've got these days. My guess is most of them have similar policies and you've given away similar rights to your whatever you upload to these other things too. So just be aware that when you're using these really cool apps that until we can get some some sort of regulations in place and, and laws laid down uh, with, with penalties that have teeth, you should assume that's a wild, wild west, that anything you give up there can be used by anyone else for any reasons that they want and you'll have no recourse. Okay, last up, Equifax is back in the news again. I'm sure you've seen uh, plenty of articles about this, and most of them probably say something along the lines of, quick, hurry, if you've been affected by Equifax, go sign up now to get your $125 check. Um, I've seen, I must have seen a dozen of these uh, just in the past few days. And so here's here's the real deal. Um, Equifax was... You know, the, the Federal Trade Commission basically brought up charges against these guys and recently announced that their proposed settlement uh, has Equifax paying hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, proposed being the key word uh, because it's not settled yet. Um, and part of that is one option is getting paid, but uh, you may not get anywhere near that kind of money or any money at all. So uh, let me, Brian Krebs, uh, Krebs on Security Blog, uh, does some great work, and he's covered this uh, particular issue extensively. And of course, he's got an article on this. So let me, let me read some uh, snippets from his article on this uh, latest Equifax things. He says, Big three credit bureau Equifax has reportedly agreed to pay at least $650 million to settle lawsuits stemming from a 2017 breach that let intruders steal personal and financial data on roughly 148 million Americans. 
Now, let me stop. Think about that number, 148 million. The uh, United States has over 300 million people. But if, for, if you think about just those that have credit reports, in other words, uh, not minors, uh, 148 million is probably over half the country. Uh, so anyway, it goes on. If the terms of the settlement are approved by a court, the Federal Trade Commission says Equifax will be required to spend up to $425 million helping consumers who can demonstrate they were financially harmed by the breach. And that's a key thing. We'll come back to it in a minute. The company also will provide up to 10 years of free credit monitoring to those who had their data exposed. And he has a little Q&A here. So this is one of the Q&As. It says, question, hang on, 148 million affected consumers out of that 200 or out of that $425 million pot, that comes to just $2.87 per victim, right? And his answer was, that's one way of looking at it. But as always, the devil's in the details. You won't see a penny or any other benefit unless you do something about it. And how much you end up co costing the company within certain limits is up to you. And then he goes on, the Times reported that the proposed settlement assumes that only around 7 million people will sign up for their credit monitoring offers. Uh, if more do, Equifax's cost for providing it could rise meaningfully, uh, according to the story uh, in the Times. And then he says, in a nutshell, affected consumers are eligible to apply for one or more remedies, including, and he lists three of those. First is free credit monitoring. The second is reimbursement. And the third is uh, help for ongoing identity theft issues. And let me dig into those. So so for, for free credit monitoring, it says at least three years of credit monitoring via all three major bureaus simultaneously, including Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. The settlement also envisions up to six more years of single bureau monitoring through Experian. Now, I think it's weird that it's through Experian and not Equifax, but though maybe... They're making sure that Equifax doesn't profit from this in any way. Uh, or if you don't want to take advantage of the credit monitoring offers, you can opt instead for a $125 cash payment. You can't get both. And I've got a lot more to say about that in a minute. Okay, the reimbursements one says, uh, reimbursement for the time you spent remedi remedying identity theft or misuse of your personal information caused by the breach or purchasing credit monitoring or other credit reports. Uh, this ca is capped at 20 total hours at $25 per hour or $500 total. Ca total cash reimbursements payments will not exceed $20,000 per customer. And then the third option, the help for ongoing identity theft issue, says up to seven years of, quote, free assisted identity restoration services, unquote. Again, the existing breach settlement page is light on specifics there. All right, so th there's a lot more in his article, and if you want to look it up, I would just suggest going to krebsonsecurity.com, uh, and you can you can find more details. But... Basically, it's this. Um, so this is a proposed settlement. It has not been, it has not been ratified yet by some court. I'm not 100% sure of the process, but basically this is the proposed settlement, and some third party has got to look at, this, look at this and say, yes, that's fair, or no, that's not fair. And if it's not fair, they have to tweak it. So uh, this all may change. But the $125 thing. So in order to get that, you have to go file a claim. And by the way, I've already done this, and I'll tell you in a minute how to do it yourself as part of our tip of the week. But you go and you make your claim, and as you're making your claim, one of the options is, in this first part, in this first part of the reimbursement, is you can either get free credit monitoring, uh, as it says, or you can opt in instead uh, for a uh, $125 payment. Now, you have to, as part of this, claim or certify or attest to already having credit monitoring in place for at least the next six months. So basically the whole point of this is their solution to this problem to help you is not to pay you really, but to offer credit monitoring services. Um, so the whole thing is kind of focused on credit monitoring. Like that is the solution that they've come up with. And it's really not a great one because it actually doesn't prevent identity theft. I'll tell you about how to do that in the tip of the week as well. 
all it really does is just monitor things. So it keeps a closer eyes on things, which, you know, hopefully what that means is if somebody starts creating credit in your name and, and racking up debt in your name, that you'll catch it quickly and maybe be able to put a stop to it uh, before it gets out of hand. Uh, but it's all after the fact. It's all reactive. It's not proactive. And the other thing is, is in order to get that cash payment, let's say you don't think the credit monitoring is worth it, you just want the cash, you basically have to sit there and say, I've already got credit monitoring. Now, I don't know if they're going to check that. They're probably not. So basically, you just have to attest to the fact that I've got credit monitoring already. And because I've got that, I don't need yours, and I'll just take the cash instead. Thank you very much. Um, now, the... <laughs> That sounds fine, but the problem is that you may not get anywhere near 125 bucks because if if they're only expecting seven million out of 148 million people to apply for this, you know, and some they're probably assuming some fewer percentage of that was actually going to take cash as opposed to monitoring, <laughs> they could run out of money quickly. And what I don't understand, and I've seen it two different ways in two different articles, one said that if there's more people apply for that, then they just reduce the amount. So at the end of the day, you may not get 125. You may get 50, you may get 30, 10, who knows? Um, if like, you know, if you did the math, like the guy in the article did, I mean, that's less than three bucks a person. So there's that, or I've said, I wrote said, read another article that said if they're, if they're assuming it's at least this amount. And if more people want 125 bucks, then the effective damages go up because they're going to pay everybody that amount. I don't know that that's true. So anyway, it's not clear. And again, this has not been approved. So despite the fact that there's a website available right now for you to go to and file this claim, this could all change. But let's go ahead and get to that, and I'll just make that our tip of the week. So I've gone ahead and done this. I don't think there's any harm to doing it. Um, if the settlement changes, I'm sure that, you know, you'll already basically at this point be registered, and they will tell you what has changed, and you'll get a new option to make a choice. Um, but under the current way it's set, uh, you have those three options. So the first one I think is the most important one. You can either sign up for free credit monitoring services for all from all three bureaus for, uh, I think it was three years, or you could take 125 bucks. And then if you've actually been affected by these things, like basically options two and three, I think, in the claim, and this is going to be hard. I, I don't know how you're expected to prove this, and that may be what they're counting on, um, unfortunately, is it would be probably really difficult to come out and prove that the reason your your identity was stolen was directly tied specifically to this Equifax breach. I don't know how anybody could prove that. And because of that, I'm not sure how many of those claims are actually ever going to get paid out. Uh, I don't know what kind of criteria they're going to use to to judge whether or not it was directly uh, attributed, attributable to that breach or not. But I'm guessing that's going to be a real sticking point and they may not pay much of anything on that. Uh, but anyway, um, I would still, it, and this website will tell you if you're not sure, uh, you need to go to EquifaxBreachSettlement.com. Uh, and there you'll have to fill out a form and you'll have to give it some information about yourself and it will tell you whether or not you were affected by the breach or not and whether or not, therefore, you are entitled to make a claim. And at that point, it'll walk you through the process and ask you all these questions of which way you want to go on your claims. Personally, I went for the money. I don't need, I've actually got, and I should mention this, uh, I've got free credit monitoring through my company. Uh, and if you work for any large size, a large enough size company with a decent insurance plan, um, you should check to see if this is already something you're offered by your company, free credit monitoring. Um, I use it. I've been using it for years and it's a nice benefit. So, um, you can get both. Basically you can, you can have that free through your company and then you could get this, um, uh, hopefully some sort of a cash payout. 
So anyway, EquifaxBreachSettlement.com. You can go there. I, of course, put that in the show notes as well if you want to check it out there. Two other things, though, that I've got to mention. So like I said earlier, this does not prevent identity theft. All this does is keep a closer eye on your credit report, your credit history, to see if and try to catch somebody doing something nefarious who has stolen your identity. Enough information about you to open a credit card or a new loan uh, or do something uh, with with your identity that affects your credit report. And all it's really doing is there's some computer watching for weird activity. That's it. So, and it's and again, it's reactive. It's not proactive. It's after the fact. Um, so the real way to prevent uh, identity theft, and it's not, it's not foolproof, uh, but it's to do a credit freeze. And I've talked about this before as well. And Brian Krebs has got a great article on this. You can also look at Clark Howard um, or look at my website. You can search for credit freeze on my website. I'm also going to have an article uh, about this. If you're on, if you're already a listening, uh, if you already signed up for, for my newsletter, you will have probably gotten that already before you even got the um, this podcast. It'll be the subject of my newsletter and, um, and, and blog entry this week. Uh, but if you go to my website, it should be the top article there where I talk about this as well. And you can find these links, all these links that I'm talking about, you can find them in that article there too. So that would be firewallsdontstopdragons.com. Uh, and if you want to get these things in the future, of course, you can sign up for my newsletter there as well. So anyway, credit freeze. So a credit freeze, and unfortunately, you have to go to each of the three big bureaus. you got to go to Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion all separately. They all have slightly different processes. You can do most of this online, uh, and you... Tell them you want to freeze your credit. And what that means is nobody, including yourself, can open anything. They can't pull your credit report. And because they can't pull your credit report, and almost every place that is going to do anything in, you know, has the, extends you credit, gives you a loan, mortgage, uh, opens up even utilities, sometimes even for job interviews, for a part of the application process, they want to see your credit report. And if they don't, they won't do anything. So um, if you're the kind of person who gets new credit cards often or gets new loans often or applies for jobs a lot, moves around a lot, and maybe has to sign up for utilities all the time, this is really going to be a pain, and that's, that's too bad. Uh, I, still I still recommend you do it because it's the only really way to stop new credit from being issued in your name without your express permission. So what that basically means is nobody can pull your credit report until you say otherwise, basically until you either unfreeze completely or temporarily thaw is the term they use, your credit report. So um, you have to go to all three. You freeze your credit. They give you a PIN, some sort of an ID or a passphrase or a password that you can use in the future to either unthaw it or, temporary, or uh, unfreeze it or temporarily thaw it so that you can get that new credit card uh, or whatever. And unfortunately, what that also means is that let's say you want to get a new credit card or let's say you want to buy a new house or you want to apply for a job. In all these cases, they want to pull your credit report. You're going to have to ask them, okay, which service do you use? Experian, Equifax, or TransUnion? Uh, and when they tell you, then you need to say, okay, give me a minute or give me a day uh, so that I can go thaw my credit report so that you can pull my credit report. And it will temporarily thaw your credit report long enough for them to get one, and then it'll go back to being frozen. So, yeah, it's a pain, but it's really the only thing we have right now to prevent any new credit from being opened up your name. And I keep saying new, and that's because it doesn't affect your current stuff. So if someone gets your identity and steals it to the point where they can access your existing credit cards or loans or bank accounts or other financial stuff, unfortunately, there's nothing, this does not prevent that. So it's not foolproof. Um, the other thing I would recommend, as I always do, uh, is to get your credit reports, your free annual credit reports. 
Uh, and the, the way I do it is I stagger them every four months because you can get a free one every year from those three bureaus. I do one every four months. So like, uh, I forget which one I do, but let's say I do in January 1st, I, I get Experian. Uh, on May 1st, I get Equifax. And on September 1st, I get TransUnion. So that there are, you know, it's one per year for each of them, but I've spread them out so I can kind of look at them throughout the year. Uh, and th- to do that, you want to go to annualcreditreport.com. There's a lot of other sites that claim to be accessing your free credit reports that are scams. Um, so be sure to go to this one in particular, annualcreditreport.com. And again, I will put all these in the in the newsletter in the blog entry so you can find them there and on the show notes. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks for listening in again this week. Um, to make sure you get it every week, if you haven't already, I would go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. You automatically get these every week. You can also go to my newsletter, which comes out every two weeks, which tends to cover uh, some. The tip of the week is usually uh, I cover the same in both, but sometimes it's nice to get the the newsletter because it's got all the the, the links right there for you, um, so you don't have to go find my podcast website, find the podcast, find the show notes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, uh, often my newsletter corresponds to my blog, not always hundred percent of the time, but, um, if you don't want to sign up for the newsletter, but you're willing to go check the website every now and then, uh, you can go to firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com and look through the blogs there. And I guess that's, if you haven't signed up for the newsletter yet, you can also find some old stuff that way. Things that I've sent out before historical stuff. So lots of ways to get this information and your key to all of it is firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. Um, so go check that out for sure. I've got some great interviews queued up. I'm still getting the details lined up, but uh, hopefully you're going to have one coming up soon on facial recognition, which I've been trying to do for a while. Um, Also trying to get one on dark patterns. God, I've been trying to find someone to do that for a really long time, but I think I may be getting closer on that. And there is, we just had the interviews with Richard Stokes about the uh, Winston privacy box. Uh, There's another box called uh, privacy safe coming out from um, a guy I've interviewed before named Sean O'Brien from Yale privacy lab. Who's an entrepreneur and starting its other company privacy safe. Um, and it's really cool as well. It's a slightly different tack than the Winston privacy box. Uh, and I gotta, I gotta say, I'm just really glad to kind of see all these entrepreneurs coming forward and, and putting, putting themselves out there. And I really hope that people finally at this point decide that privacy is worth money, that it's worth paying to have these things that help protect their privacy. So anyway, we'll be talking about all those things in the near future. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And that is it. I hope everybody's doing well and staying safe out there. And as always, until next week, Don't get caught with your garbage down.